Welcome to the Law with DK Williams, giving the courts credit when they get it right, calling them out when they get it wrong. Welcome back to the Law. I'm DK Williams, and this is episode 52 Bush versus Gore. We're going to talk about this controversial 2000 U.S. Supreme Court case where the U.S. Supreme Court stopped a second recount of, or a continuing recount of presidential votes in Florida when Bush and Al Gore were in a virtual dead heat for Florida's 25 electoral college votes. Whoever got those votes was going to be president of the United States. You guys probably remember some of this. So while this case does not deal with the autonomy of electoral college voters like we've discussed in episodes 48, 49, and 50, it does deal with the 12th Amendment and the constitutional process of selecting the president because what we're talking about here are electoral college votes. So it has some relevance. And I think it will, it has a lesson for us as well. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you in collaboration with speakeasyideas.com. You can subscribe to The Law and other Speakeasy Ideas podcasts through your favorite podcast app and at speakeasyideas.com. Follow this podcast on social media if you're so inclined on Twitter at The Law DKW and on Facebook.com slash The Law with D.K. Williams. I'd love to hear from you. If you go to Facebook, leave me a rating. That uh, seems to help out the distribution of those posts. I'm available for speaking engagements, consulting, and teaching. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details. All right, the name participants in this one, I think you're familiar with these two, George W. Bush and Albert Gore. Now, the Supreme Court tally in this one, it was 7-2 to on one issue and 5-4 to four on really the, the crux of it. And there's not an official author of this opinion. It was released as what they call per curium, more Latin stands for, or it means by the court. This happens every now and then, and it is unusual, but it's what we've got here. And as I always do, I've linked to the decision, the U.S. Supreme Court decision, and the audio of the oral arguments via oyez.com, that's O-Y-E-Z, in the show notes. And Oyez breaks down the votes thusly because this is one of those cases where you've got uh, some dissents where somebody will join like part 1A of the dissent, but not part 2D or whatever. So to keep it simple, this is how um, Oyez broke this down. So it was seven to two. The U.S. Supreme Court said that standardless manual recounts violate the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. And we'll talk about that. So the U.S. Supreme Court is saying here that what the Florida Supreme Court did in mandating or requiring some recounts in some counties without giving sufficient guidelines as to how to determine what each punched hole ballot uh, meant they're going to leave that up to each county and some place in some cases even in different parts of counties how they are going to count those votes so 72 the supreme court said you've got to have some standards otherwise uh, it violates the equal protection clause everybody everyone's votes has to be counted the same so the majority of that. And again, nobody signed this. It's per curium. The seven justice majority in that one was Rehnquist, Sandra Day O'Connor, Antonin Scalia, David Souter, Clarence Thomas, and Stephen Breyer. Now then, the, and the two dissenters were um, Stevens and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So then in the con- more controversial part, the part that stopped any more recounts, that part was five to four. And this is where the court said that no other recount method could be decided and executed within the election time allowed by or required by the United States Code that deals with the Electoral College. They're out of time, basically. They couldn't keep doing this. Not in a way that would satisfy the Equal Protection Clause. 
counting everybody's vote the same, treating them all the same. Now, this time, so you've got the same two dissenters with Stevens and RBG, but Souter and Breyer joined them. And these four thought that Florida should be allowed to figure it out best they could pursuant to Florida law. The majority said there was no way they could do that and comply with equal protection and comply with the timelines in the federal statute. So basically, Florida had a way to conduct these elections. They did that. They got a result, and they can't go back and change the counting rules afterward. That's basically what the majority has said here. And this was one of those cases where the timeline is really expedited uh, by necessity. And, you know, we've talked about the potential electoral college problem in 2020 and this issue of whether or not or how we're going to count electoral college votes. We went into that question in some detail in, some, in those 48, 49, and 50 episodes. But in essence, it's if a state says all of our electoral college voters have to do this, and one of those people, one of those electors says, no, I'm not going to do that, and votes for the other candidate, then how do you count that vote? And if it's close enough and enough people do that, we're going to have a serious problem in 2020 if the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't make that clear one way or the other. Either states can tell you exactly how you have to vote or they can't. And right now, the Tenth Circuit ruled one way and the Washington State Supreme Court ruled the other way, like we talked about. So at least this Bush versus Gore case shows that there is an expedited way to take care of this. But they're going to need to take care of it before it becomes an issue because that's when it really gets political. When you know the outcome of who's going to win if you do it this way or who's going to win if you count them that way, then people are going to go, oh, you guys are just doing this by partisanship. But if you do it beforehand, then everybody knows how we're going to do the counting. You avoid some of that political discord. So in this case, December 8th of 2000, the Florida Supreme Court ordered recounts in some Florida counties. Bush and Cheney had been certified as the winners by the Florida Secretary of State or the Election Commission, whatever they called it. After Bush and Cheney had been certified as winners, the Florida Supreme Court ordered recounts in some counties. Bush and Cheney filed an emergency application for a stay of this Florida state Supreme Court ruling with the United States Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court granted that state the next day, December 9th, and they, quote, treated it as a petition for writ of certiorari and agreed to hear it. Remember, a writ of certiorari is just a request for the Supreme Court to hear it. So December 8th, Florida Supreme Court makes a ruling. The next day, Bush and Cheney appeal it to the U.S. Supreme Court. December 11th, just three days after the Florida Supreme Court opinion, there was oral argument. And then the very next day, December 12th, these opinions came out. So that is quite a fast turnaround on these issues. But given the nature of elections, that's the way it had to be. And let me just say that this case, this case is about how to solve this problem legally and constitutionally. Let's be clear about the problem. What is the problem? Why is this an issue? That's because the executive branch of the state of Florida failed to properly execute its responsibility. It failed. It failed in executing the 2000 statewide election for president of the United States, or more precisely, for the 25 presidential electors that Florida was going to give to one of the candidates. So if Florida doesn't screw it up, if Florida's got a better way to count votes, there's no issue at all. But they failed. That's why this became an issue. And you know, some of the people who didn't vote right share some of the blame, too. If you can't follow the rules, your vote might not count. And some of these people didn't completely punch the hole in some of these cards. Uh, here in Colorado, for example, every ballot is by mail. And it says when you get it, it says the ballot, the filled out ballot, completed ballot, must be received by the local clerk's office by a certain time and date. I think it's usually 7 o'clock of the official day of the election. And you can mail it to them if you give enough time for the ballot to arrive at the clerk's office before that deadline. And there's also places throughout the city, in Denver anyway, where you can drop them off uh, in weeks prior to the election or right up until 7 o'clock of that deadline. But if you mail your ballot on the day it's due, it's not going to be counted. 
because it's not going to arrive in time. And this is expressly explained on the ballot itself. So if you don't follow the rule and get it returned in time, your vote doesn't count. Likewise, I'm drawing a comparison here to Florida. If you fail to actually punch out the hole on the punch card, you fail to follow the instructions and your vote may not count. So, if, And if the machines were the things that failed, that's the state of Florida's fault for using bad machines. And the people need to elect officials who will solve that problem. So out of all the criticism of the U.S. Supreme Court in this case, this isn't really the U.S. Supreme Court's fault. The result is based on a series of mistakes made by the state of Florida. And let us not forget this part either, because a lot of times this gets glossed over or just not even mentioned at all. Neither Gore nor Bush got a majority in Florida in 2000. They both got 48% and some change of the electorate. Ralph Nader, the Green Party candidate, got 1.6%. Now, the difference between Gore and Bush's election totals, vote totals, was less than 1,000 votes. Nader got more than 97,000 votes. The U.S. Supreme Court, even the most ardent critics of what they did here, they have to admit the U.S. Supreme Court did not cost Al Gore this election. And neither did Ralph Nader and the people that voted for Ralph Nader. The two major parties insist on having these plurality votes where whoever gets the most votes, even if it's not more than 50%, whoever gets the most votes wins. So that's why we're talking about here 48% and change, and it goes down to 1,000 votes or less than 1,000 votes. That shouldn't be how we decide who gets the, the win. Neither Gore nor Bush got a majority of the votes. So how can they be a winner in any type of actual fair system? Well, they can't, but that's what the two parties insist on. They insist on this plurality vote. We don't need a majority or people don't need a majority to win because that's what the two major parties want. They can fix it, but they don't. There's at least three relatively easy ways to fix it. Alternative voting methods. They can use ranked choice voting, approval voting, or score voting. These will all solve this problem. So the major parties get zero sympathy from me when a third party like Nader in Florida in 2000 screws up their control. They can fix it. They don't. So they can shut up. Now, quickly, ranked choice voting is if there's five people on your ballot, you rank them from one to five. This is my first choice, second choice, third, fourth, fifth, whatever. Approval voting is where you look at the five candidates, or however many there are, and you go, do I approve of this guy in the office or not? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? Whoever gets the most approval votes wins the office. And then the last one is score voting. There can be some range, one to five, one to ten. The, the range doesn't matter. Let's say it's one to five. There's five people on that ballot. You score each one. The one you really don't want to win at all, you can give one. The one you really want to win, you can give a five. Maybe a couple other ones you're iffy about, give them three, give them a four. You, you score them on a scale. Whoever gets the highest number of score votes wins. Does away with this plurality problem. And I've got a link to more on those three alternatives in the notes. And to try and keep some of this simple, I'm going to use some of the explanation from the syllabus, which is printed along with the case as a summary, but it's not actually part of the case. And so if you go to the Oyez.com link in the notes, you'll see what I'm talking about. The Florida Supreme Court's judgment in this case, ordering manual partial recounts with no statewide standard for determining the intent of the voter on a ballot was reversed by the U.S. Supreme Court as a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. The Equal Protection Clause's requirements applied to the manner in which the voting franchise is exercised, how people vote. So having once granted the right to vote on equal terms, the state statute, this is how we're going to vote, Florida may not, according to the U.S. Supreme Court, by later arbitrary and disparate different treatment, value one person's vote over that of another. 
the U.S. Supreme Court said that the record shows that the standards for accepting or rejecting these contested ballots, like, hmm, there's a hanging chad. Who do they mean to vote for? The standard for determining that not only varied from county to county, but indeed within a single county from one recount team to another. You can see where there is a problem here. The majority, the U.S. Supreme Court said that Florida had not shown that its procedures include the necessary safeguards to take care of this equal protection problem. Upon due consideration of the difficulties identified, it is obvious that the recount cannot be conducted in compliance with the requirements of equal protection and due process. Oh, and I'll just point out uh, Lawrence Tribe was one of the lawyers for Gore. He's a well-known, quote-unquote, expert on the Constitution, and he's quoted in Neil Gorsuch's book, which I'm currently reading, called A Republic If You Can Keep It. Gorsuch is talking about originalism and reading the words and trying to decipher what these words mean if there's some doubt. And Tribe is cited by Gorsuch as a modern scholar who thinks what the Supreme Court should do is try to determine the best societal outcome when there's, a, when there's some kind of discrepancy. The words aren't as important as what's going to be best for society. That's the actual words used that we're talking about. And I'll be doing a podcast on that book soon, so stay tuned. And you can see the problem with Tribe's position, but we'll get into that at another time. And something I'd forgotten until I was reading this case, and I think most people have, that Florida did have a recount in this election. This is from the actual opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court. On November 8th, 2000, the day following the presidential election, the Florida Division of Elections reported that Petitioner Bush had received 2,909,135 votes, and Respondent Gore had received 2,907,351 votes, a margin of 1,700. 84 for Bush. Because Governor Bush's margin of victory was less than one half of a percent of the votes cast, an automatic machine recount was conducted under Florida statute, the results of which showed Governor Bush still winning the race, but by a diminished margin. So there was a recount in Florida under Florida law. But then uh, on November 26, the Florida Elections Canvassing Commission, a government body, certified the results of the election, declared Bush the winner of Florida's 25 electoral college votes. The next day, that's when Gore sued in a Florida state court to contest the election result pursuant to Florida statute. They quickly got it up to the state Supreme Court. And the state Supreme Court said, what we have to do here is figure out a clear indication of the intent of the voter on these disputed ballots. And the Florida Supreme Court got into the weeds, as they had to in this type of issue, about undervotes, because in some of these ballots, the machine didn't record a vote for president, where other elections, there was a vote registered. Now, people do that on purpose. There's nothing wrong with that. So, But there was a question, of, hmm, maybe the machine didn't count. Somebody tried to vote for Gore or Bush. They didn't punch it all the way through or whatever. So we need to look at those. And from the U.S. Supreme Court, they said a legal vote as determined by the Florida Supreme Court, is one in which there is a clear indication of the intent of the voter. So that's what they're trying to do. And the U.S. Supreme Court says there's no, there's no clear standard for how we're going to try to get that indication of the intent of the voter. Different groups are going to do it a different way. And you, without that guideline or some way to make that consistent, that's a problem with the Equal Protection Clause. And at this point, a certain quote comes to mind. It's been attributed to Stalin, and he probably said something like this. But in any event, it's true no matter who said it. It's not the people who vote that count. It's the people who count the votes. Al Franken's Senate election in Minnesota, whenever that was, years and years ago, comes to mind. That went on for, what, over months, right? And the longer that process goes, perhaps, the more that Stalin quote applies. The U.S. Supreme Court, in this case, after reviewing what's going on in Florida, says, The petition the appeal to them, presents the following questions. Whether the Florida Supreme Court established new standards 
for resolving presidential election contests, thereby violating the United States Constitution, that's Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, and failing to comply with the U.S. Code, and whether the use of standardless manual recounts violates the Equal Protection and Due Process Clauses. With respect to the Equal Protection question, we, the U.S. Supreme Court majority, find a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. I think the Supreme Court's right about this. They go on. This case has shown that punch card balloting machines, that's the ones where you get the hanging chads or the dimple chads and all that, these balloting machines can produce an unfortunate number of ballots which are not punched in a clean, complete way by the voter. After the current counting, it is likely legislative bodies nationwide will examine ways to improve the mechanisms and machinery for voting. I certainly hope so. And again, it's a problem of the state's execution of its duties. And they screwed it up, so it went to the courts. The Supreme Court goes on. The individual citizen, and this, is, this ties in with the whole electoral college thing, right, that we've been talking about or we have talked about. The individual citizen has no federal constitutional right to vote for electors for the president of the United States unless and until the state legislature chooses a statewide election as the means to implement its power to appoint members of the Electoral College. Ties into what we talked about. Episodes 48, BACA, 49, Guerra, and 50. The Supreme Court goes on. That the state legislature's power to select the manner for appointing electors is plenary basically absolute. It may, the state may, if it so chooses, select the electors itself so the state legislature can pick them, which indeed was the manner, as the Supreme Court notes, used by state legislatures in several states for many years after the framing of our Constitution. History has now favored the voter, and in each of the several states, the citizens themselves vote for presidential electors. Note, electors, not the president himself. When the state legislature vests the right to vote for president in its people, like they did in Florida and everywhere else at this point, the right to vote as the legislature has proscribed is fundamental. And one source of its fundamental nature lies in the equal weight accorded to each vote and the equal dignity owed to each voter. And that's the problem that Supreme Court finds. They're not doing that. They're treating votes differently in this recount without any applicable or meaningful standards. U.S. Supreme Court says, It must be remembered that the right of suffrage can be denied by a debasement or dilution of the weight of a citizen's vote just as effectively as by wholly prohibiting the free exercise of the franchise. Now, the Supreme Court here is quoting Reynolds versus Sims, which we actually covered in episode 34 of the law. That's the one where state legislatures are told every vote for a state legislature must be proportionate. You can't have rural counties having two senators in the state legislature and populous urban counties also having two. They've got to have the same proportional vote per each state legislative seat. And this is the source of John Marshall Harlan II's great quote in his dissent that I use all the time. He says, The Constitution is not a panacea for every blot upon the public welfare, nor should this court be thought of as a general haven of reform movements. Always bring that up whenever I can. Supreme Court back here in Gore versus Bush, vice versa, Bush versus Gore. The question before us, however, is whether the recount procedures the Florida Supreme Court has adopted are consistent with its obligation to avoid arbitrary and disparate treatment of the members of its electorate. Much of the controversy seems to revolve around ballot cards designed to be perforated by a stylus, but which, either through error or deliberate omission, have not been perforated with sufficient precision for a machine to register the perforations. In some cases, a piece of the card, a chad, is hanging, say, by two corners. In other cases, there's no separation at all, just an indentation. 
the Florida Supreme Court has ordered that the intent of the voter be discerned from such ballots. The recount mechanisms implemented in response to the decisions of the Florida Supreme Court do not satisfy the minimum requirement for non-arbitrary treatment of voters necessary to secure the fundamental right of voting. So each county was going to do it differently. Even within some counties, different voting groups would be doing it differently. Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court says, the formulation of uniform rules to determine intent based on these recurring circumstances is practicable and we conclude necessary. They give an example. Should a county canvassing board count or not count a dimpled chad where the voter is able to successfully dislodge the chad in every other contest on that ballot? Here, the county canvassing boards disagree. As seems to have been acknowledged at oral argument, the standards for accepting or rejecting contested ballots might vary not only from county to county, but indeed within a single county from one recount team to another. And that's the problem. Supreme Court mentioned some more examples of this disparate treatment of the ballots, and they say this is not a process with sufficient guarantees of equal treatment. The state Supreme Court ratified this uneven treatment. So the state Supreme Court did something that was a violation of equal protection. And so what the majority is doing here, they're trying to make the argument that they are defending the one person, one vote principle that the progressives hold dear. I think they do a pretty good job of that. And there's also this issue about there's time limits involved in electing the president. The Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, takes note of that. They say the press of time does not diminish the constitutional concern. A desire for speed is not a general excuse for ignoring equal protection guarantees. Because the electors, the U.S. presidential electors in the entire country, had a deadline for those votes to be cast. There's a meeting where they do that. And here's a passage that comes up in the case that I find perfectly representative of government incompetence. The U.S. Supreme Court says, While others were permitted to observe the recount, they are prohibited from objecting during the recount. What good does that do? Absolutely none. So in conclusion, the U.S. Supreme Court's wrapping it up. They say, when a court, the Florida State Supreme Court in this case, when a court orders a statewide remedy, there must be at least some assurance that the rudimentary requirements of equal treatment and fundamental fairness are satisfied. So they overturn the Florida Supreme Court, stop this ongoing recount. Remember, they had one recount. There was a couple different dissents. The Stevens dissent, which RBG and Breyer sign on to, sums up their disagreement. They say in their dissent, when questions arise about the meaning of state laws, including election laws, it is our settled practice to accept the opinions of the highest courts of the states as providing the final answers. On rare occasions, however, either federal statutes or the federal constitution may require federal judicial intervention in state elections. This is not such an occasion. So there you have it. That's that's the, the, the gist of the dissent. Let Florida figure it out best they can, and then we'll deal with whatever they do. And like I mentioned, many of you remember the, the political turmoil around this case, the 2000 election. But that turmoil in 2000 will look like nothing if the Supreme Court of the United States doesn't make a rule concerning the autonomy of presidential electors before that election in November 2020. If a state says its electors must vote for the winner of its statewide popular vote, but then some of its electors, like Michael Baca did in Colorado, and the three in Washington state said, nay, no, you can't make us vote a certain way. The Constitution of the United States says we, as presidential electors, can vote however we want, and the states have no authority to bind us. If that's not resolved, that dispute could seriously put this country in turmoil. Competing arguments about who won the election would both have some merit, and these competing arguments need to be resolved before it becomes a problem. So like we mentioned in 48, Tenth Circuit said 
electors cannot be mandated to vote a certain way. But the Washington State Supreme Court in GERA, G-U-E-R-R-A, said that electors can be told how they must vote. That needs to be resolved. And at least Bush versus Gore shows that the U.S. Supreme Court can get to these things quickly. They don't even have to do it as quickly as they did in that case because they've got a year, but they need to get to it. And we'll keep you apprised as to how that goes down, if at all. I'm D.K. Williams, and this has been The Law, Episode 52, Bush versus Gore, the 2000 election case. We're brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. Let me know what you think. Again, Twitter, at TheLawDKW, and Facebook.com, The Law with D.K. Williams. I'm available for speaking engagements, consulting, teaching. Contact Bethany at SpeakeasyIdeas.com for details on that. Freedom is dangerous, my friends. Until next week, live dangerously.